This is Doing Then Doing with Lauren and Carolina. Okay. Yes, I hear you both well. Yeah, so why don't we just start, okay? Instead of like preparing, just like wing it and see what happens, okay? Like, yeah. like a real conversation. Um, okay, so I'm, I'm worried that I'm going to say something if I'm, that's going to sound racist. And, and I'm, if I do, it's clearly not an intention. What I want to be able to do is share with you and Carolina my experience of racism and why sometimes I'm racist, why... And I believe virtually everybody is racist to one degree or another. And maybe we can all share about uh, experiences, if that matters, or how we can help change um, the view people have each other and come back to a place where what race you are um, isn't separating. I agree. So, um... What I want people to know who, who might be listening to this is um, Carolina and I are here together. We're in Vancouver. We invited a friend of ours whose name is Yvette Fuentes um, to be part of a conversation about racism. And um, the whole idea for this conversation just happened yesterday when we were on the phone. Yvette, although I haven't spent much time with her, um, is somebody um, who I consider a, a really good friend because um, she and I and now Carolina have a similar worldview, a similar way of sharing, a similar views about what is important and what is possible in this world. And um, that feels very committed to me to being an instrument of positive change in this world. Helping others is right at the top of her list of priorities about why she's alive and why she's here. And I'm hopefully, and I know I can say that honestly about Carolina, sometimes I struggle with whether that's true for me also. Um, I hope it is. And I still have a lot of demons that I'm struggling with that sometimes in my my own mind, I don't think I'm a very caring or uh, honest person. And yet what I can say with complete honesty is I try really hard to be honest. So, um, I'm also in a phone conversation with two females, women, both of whom are very shy, both of whom do not publicly like to speak. So, um, I'm, I, on some level, feel burdened with having to do the majority of this or being the primary speaker, which I suspect I could do, and yet the invitation for real is for both Yvette and Carolina to please help me in this, because um, even the subject we're talking about is a subject that involves groups of at least two people it's hard to be racist all by yourself and it's hard to be not racist all by yourself you know 
racism, racism was born in the presence of uh, more than one person. And, and um, hopefully racism can be defeated and, and taken out of our lives in the presence of others too in these kinds of dialogues and these kinds of experiences where people are coming together to share what they actually feel rather than what they think they're supposed to. Well, funny enough, as I was thinking about our conversation, I, I thought, well, you know, we're, we're a walking joke. It's like a Puerto Rican, a half Mexican, and a Jewish guy walk into a bar, and this is what you have, the conversation that we're having today. <laughs> Yeah. That was funny. Yeah. Yeah. Although I I must admit I've never walked into a bar announced that I was Jewish to a half Mexican and a Puerto Rican. Yeah. I'm sure neither the day is always somebody else talking about them. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well yeah, that's the truth. Like I have spent most of the time my experience of racism is listening to other people being racist in their words and or actions while I've witnessed it, the action or the words. And <clears throat> I'm proud to say that most of the time, unless I was really afraid of being physically hurt, when I heard words or actions that were racist in nature, I said, not okay, and stepped in to do something to change it. So I feel good about that. Um, and obviously there is so much more that needs to be done. And, um, you know, maybe the beginning for me is to say, you know, I grew up in a family, a Jewish family that believed that the whole world was anti-Semitic, even though I grew up in a, in a privileged area that was the wealthiest area in Canada and was 90% Jewish. So it was hard, hard for me to fathom that anti-Semitism actually existed until I actually lived that, left that environment. That's when I started to experience it. And I've experienced way more racism when I've heard people talk about blacks or Mexicans than I have when I've heard people talk about um, Jewish people. So... And what did you learn? What were you taught the differences were? And those differences, did they go inside of you in a way that they felt like it was you that was 
saying those things or perceiving those things? Um, I think that to some degree, eventually you, you kind of go with the, the flow of the river. So um, I remember at first being very confused, um, but then learning very quickly because you know, coming in and not speaking the language, you're singled out pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, it was basically an us against them. So there weren't a lot of white people in the neighborhood except for maybe the teachers. But so it was either you have the, the, the blacks and you have the Hispanics. So we have to stick together, you know, for protection. Do you carry the belief that when it comes right down to it, every white person um, is racist and against you, even if it's just a small amount, that when it comes right down to core, um, there is a difference between white and black, and that difference is, is perceived as one being better or worse than the other? Yeah. I know you don't. I I know you don't. We wouldn't be friends if you were that like obviously racist. But but do you care? Do you do you carry the scars of what you were taught? In a moment of anger, could you say to a white person like "fuck you, you're white. You have no idea what um, you're talking about, and 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 you're all whatever." You know, you were taught what white people were like. like yeah, I, I think. I think nothing brings out our racist streak like anger. Yes. You know, because if you're going to call somebody something, what's the most obvious thing? You know, is it racial makeup? You effing this, you effing that, you effing the other. You know, that that's the first line of, of defense yep. for the most part. But I think that when we're not there and we're not trying to hurt somebody, um, really it's about education. You know, I think that the, for the most part, the more educated, the more exposed you've been, you know, the less racist you are. But I think that there's a lot of things that are very nuanced that unless somebody tells you, hey, that's definitely racist, people will be like, no, it's not. Uh, yes, it is. Right. You know. Yeah. Um, I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, we had a, a elevator mechanic that came to fix the elevator in the building, and he says, "You know, just we were just sitting, and the TV happened to be on, and it's like, oh, you know, now it's this thing. Everywhere you look, they're putting interracial couples. They're shoving it down our throats. Yep. And it's like, wow. <laughs> yeah. Shoving it down your throat. Yeah. But to me, at that moment." I just left it alone. I didn't. I didn't feel like it was worth my effort to speak to him or clarify to him or even engage him in conversation because you know it, it's a little bit more far gone that I'm willing to invest. Like if I'm having a conversation with someone like you, who's like, you know what? I know that we all say racist things, um, and I'm willing to take a look at that and see what what makes it racist, what doesn't, you know, let's explore this. I'm good with that. But if you're already coming in with that attitude, oh, they're shoving it down my throat. It's like, you know what? Somebody else can handle that, 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 that situation. I'm not going to invest. Yeah. Yeah. 
I I invest I invest in situations like that. The thing that I'm trying to learn is how can I say something to someone without making them feel bad, without without them experiencing once again that what they're doing isn't good enough, which you know what what they're doing clearly isn't okay, and just as with a child when they're doing something it isn't okay that's detrimental to them or to others. There's a way of telling a child what's going on in a way that isn't hurtful. It's just teaching them something, and and it can go in it can go in gently. So I don't want to ever ignore it. What I want to do is learn more and more what's the way to approach it, so that it can be approached gently and meaningfully and positively, rather than just creating another experience of neg- negativity, of separation, and um, which will do nothing more than just like like strengthen the thing that I'm trying to weaken. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and anytime somebody feels like they're being attacked, all they're going to do is defend anyway. Right. So you're not yes. going to yes. accomplish anything. Yes. So um, if you were angry at... So I'm, I'm white and I'm Jewish. If you were angry at me right now, and and you your words were out of control in in terms of attacking me what would the words be how would you show me that you're racist and anti-semitic or if i was just a stranger who you knew was jewish and white what would you say to me if you weren't worried about your physical safety and you were really angry what would you say Right away to mind, it would be like a Jew bastard or something like that, which are not related to you. It's just, you know, the not it's it's, it's not even related to the person. It's just a string of words put together to hurt somebody. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think most racist words aren't aren't intended for the person. They're a generalization, of which the yeah. person is is part of the generalization, the generalized community. So you you would call me a Jew bastard. Yeah. What does that mean? I don't know. That's yes, you do. Does, does it mean so? What so? What I what I was taught when when people said things like that, what they were saying was that Jews only care about money, and Jews will do anything to make more money. Jews will manipulate you to make more money. Jews aren't trustworthy. Jews killed Christ, and those are the the stereotypical kinds of comments that that come from people who have anti-jewish sentiments but you know something as you're saying that like none of those things came to mind huh it was just kind of like jew bastard that's it and i guess because the assumption is that it means all those things i don't have to say the rest of them no but do you feel the rest of do you feel the rest of them or were were you spared that part so you just got the generalization, not the specifics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Okay. Because for me, for for, I'm sorry. Go ahead. For me, when when I was growing up, the racism that I was taught, mostly against black people, was that they weren't smart. Um, mm. they smelled bad. Um, and um. 
they they yeah they they could physically hurt you and therefore there was no reason there was no reason to be around them and many reasons to be away from them so that's that's my cultural upbringing and i believe is a a cultural upbringing to one degree or another for most white people in the United States, Canada, and maybe I don't know about the rest of the world because I haven't spent much time in the rest of the world. But that's the stereotype. And, and with respect to Mexican people, they were lazy, um, not smart, um, submissive, um, easily manipulated, um, um, crazy, crazy religious. Um, yeah, so, so, and nice, and nice. They were so nice. Let me, let me ask you a question. Somebody actually said those things, or is just uh, a meeting that you kind of gathered for conversation? Or is it like somebody's like, hey, th- this is the, the, the law of the land. This is, these people are like this. These other people are like that. No, like, I, 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 didn't grow up in a, a, a family or a culture that was that overtly racist. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would hear comments about, again, mixed marriages. I would hear comments about why don't they don't go get a job or, um, you know, like, um, and I was surrounded by, like everybody else, with movies and TV where black people were represented in a very, very poor way. I, I think it was the first time I ever saw blacks represented in a way that was thrilling for me is when I saw the TV series Roots. Like, that was like a life-changing experience for me in terms of seeing black people, like the, having an understanding of where black people originated from and how they were torn away from what they knew and brought into a world where they were used, despised, raped, whatever. But that, you know, that didn't happen to me until I was in my late teens, early 20s. Well, it's funny because I saw that movie in sixth grade. Mm -hmm. Our music teacher showed it kind of like in in slides in the class. And I remember being devastated. Like, even though slavery existed in Puerto Rico, um, like I said, where I grew up, people were very intermingled, but there, there is this underlying tone of, you know, they're better because they're lighter, and these people are worse because they're darker. Yep. Yep. You know about the hair, um, about um, features. You know, um, a friend of mine just this week made a comment. And it's it's something that they say in, in Puerto Rico a lot. They'll say somebody is black, but acepilladito. Like acepilladito means uh, like fine features and like very clean and and neat. Yeah. And I'm like, that is so racist. And it was somebody Puerto Rican, but that's a, a phrase that's very commonly used. Yep. You know, you're black but neat. Like, yeah. why do you have to make a distinction? The yeah. fact that you're making a distinction, you know, has the inherent, you know, meaning that they're not generally that way. Yep. 
And the person was like, yeah, but that's what they used to say. I said, yeah, but you're saying it now. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, like Carolina, like it's the same thing. Carolina can pass as white. And and um, even saying that, even saying that means white is better than Mexican. It's desirable. It's desirable to be able to pass as white. Like, that's hugely racist. And it's also something in my experience with that, that um, black people, I do not have much experience actually with this. This is just stuff I've read about, seen on TV and movies. Many black people aspire to look white. And, and the ones who do very often are very hated by the black community. And there's all kinds of products to to lighten skin and, and, and uncurl hair and all of which are racist. Right. Well, I mean, if, if you grow up, you know, hearing how everything about you is, is negative and less than, you know, it's no wonder anybody would try to erase that, you know. Yeah. And then... I mean, as, as you know, and some of the, the people who have been following us, I think, know it also. Carolina is very, quite, is very shy to speak publicly. So she's sitting here um, right next to me, and um, I'll speak some of the words about her that um, she might not speak about herself. Not being, being able to pass as white, being able to pass as American, yet growing up in Mexico with a father who is Mexican, she finds herself not belonging anywhere. She doesn't belong in Mexico or um, uh, the United States. And, and I think that's the, what happens to a lot of people who can pass, even though it looks like maybe they have it easier. Uh, they have the feeling of not belonging anywhere. One, one, because they're trying to be just part of who they are. And two, if they succeed, the people who can't do that resent them and and accuse them as for being too white or whatever. Lots of very famous black people get accused of that, that they've abandoned their people by trying to be white. And it, yeah, yeah. So, so it's like, how do we undo all these preconceived notes? They're, they're not preconceived. They're, how do we undo all these taught notions of what's better? Because it's very clear to me that when I watch children, it does not matter whether you're white or black. It just doesn't. It just doesn't enter a child's mind. Well, like I said, you know, for me, you know, it wasn't until after the age of 10 when I was here because I had cousins who were dark, cousins who were blonde and green-eyed. You know, so to me, we were all the same. But I do remember um, I have very curly hair, and my sister had a different grade of curl and a different grade of hair. And I remember as a child hearing other people comment about how beautiful her hair was. So nobody said there was something wrong with mine. Right. But they weren't saying what they were saying about her or making the same kind of fun. Yep. So that's how you start to just take in those messages. Wow, something's wrong. Yep. Something's wrong with me. Yes. You know? 
Yeah. And the truth of the matter is that pitting one against the other is very deliberate. And it was done to keep the slaves not organized. They started treating the ones that were lighter better so that they create distrust and resentment. So that was very deliberately put into um, the slavery system. And it's just been handed down. I think that the first thing that, that people would need to do is to understand where these differences came from. It's not because of physical issues. It was just a, a, an issue of dominance. Yep. Yeah, so as you as you know, like the work we're doing is called doing the undoing. Mm-hmm. So a lot a large part of this for us is what can we do individually and with Caroline and I as a couple, what can we do to undo what was done to us before we had any say in what was done? And and I agree with you that per, Perhaps the first step really is just to look at what was done and to acknowledge what was done and then have awareness that what was done wasn't okay. And from that place, then have discussions of how what was done has hurt each one of us individually, share our own story of how that kind of doing hurt us. And... and in the sharing of that, our story, with others who are willing to share their story, perhaps something new will be born and and we can help each other return to a place where none of that stuff matters. At the very least, join with each other in, in, a, in a loving, caring, gentle way to acknowledge the, how we have suffered because this stuff exists. I think you're, you're on to a good point because I think right now the way they're looking at it is, oh, racism hurts the people who are uh, either prejudiced against or who are, you know, the recipients of the, of the short end of that thing. But like you said, I think that the first step has to be to realize that, you know what, it hurts us both. Yes. Because we can't hurt other people and be okay. Yes. Even, even yes. if on some level you feel like you're right to treat somebody a different kind of way, you still feel the effects of that. You know? yes. and, and unless it's unconscious, I think that it, it manifests in other things. And I think the other the group is, whoever's the, the perpetrator, usually feels it just as bad as the other person. They just may not be aware that it's coming from that. Yeah. Yeah, and the way we the way we individualize it, if we have the courage or the honesty or both or whatever it takes, is to own our own racism. To own even though we keep it sep even though we keep it separate and hidden inside of us and we act as if we're not racist, yet we can be in the presence of somebody of a different skin color and our mind can be saying racist things to us, or our bodies could be moving away because that person is of a different color or from a different place or whatever. If we can have the courage to stand up, look in the mirror, 
and in the presence of another say, I'm sorry, I have been racist, and the way I've been racist is by doing this, and thinking this, and feeling this. Please help me, and let me, let me share with you this, and please, please do me the honor of sharing your experience of that too, so we can come together in a place of helping each other rid ourselves from this toxic stuff called racism. Mm-hmm. I think that the the first step would be that kind of honest and um, a conversation where it's held in a safe space where the premise is we're coming together to heal this. Yep. You know, not to debate whether it's right or it's wrong. We all know it's wrong for everybody because it doesn't make anybody feel good. Yep. So by creating that space where, you know, if I get to be racist and own it and I don't have to be attacked for it or I don't risk losing my livelihood or anything else by my admission would be a great way to have people step up and go, you know, now that you say it like that, yeah, I have been racist. Yes. Because it's okay. I'm not afraid that I'm going to lose anything. Yes. If anything, I'm going to gain. Yes. And I think that that's, that's where the key is in yes. gaining something. Yes. If people can understand that they will gain from the admission, yes. I think it will go a long way to helping people open up. Yeah, that's beautiful what you just said. Beautiful and, and really, really important. Thanks. So I don't know I don't know why I want to say this. I was going to say it at the beginning, and I thought, no, it's not it's it's not the right time. And then I just thought of it again, so I'm going to say it. Um, Vet and I met like probably about 20 years ago. I was in um, New York, and I was one of the facilitators of a group um, in a workshop. I don't even remember how many days the workshop lasted. Um, it was a weekend. Okay. And and um, everybody in the group, other than the facilitators, were Puerto Rican. And I'm, I can honestly say it was my the favorite group I ever co-facilitated. It was, like, incredibly beautiful. And I'm, I'm not just saying it now. I've said it many times since then. And... Um, I hunger for those kinds of groups where where people who bring such different, at least on the surface, life experiences come together and find um, sometimes really quite rapidly how similar we really are and how the things that appear to separate us and once those things are as acknowledged as being there and have been used as separating things uh they disappear and and our commonality of wanting to feel safe and wanting to feel loved and wanting to feel worthy and wanting to feel connected and part of just spring to the front and and magic happens and that's the magic of of, of childhood and innocence and i hope and believe um it's possible within the community of of the grown-up world, 
that that somehow we can remember that as we act separate, we feel separate, and who wants that? I sure don't. I think that, you know, uh, along with, um, you know, what I was talking about losing versus gaining, you know, it's also not all negative because for a lot of people who are, um, that have quote unquote benefited, um, also mm. there's a lot uh, to lose that's positive. You know, if, if I walk in, and, you know, they're minority applicants to a job interview, and I have, you know, the shot of being hired more than them, I'm, I'm not going to want to give that up, you know. I'm not going to want to give up the right to speak the way I speak or to walk into places thinking that I'm better. So that's also a big fear, too. Yes. Yeah. I think I think about that a lot, and, and one of the conclusions I'm coming to is is like in this journey that we're all in together, there are there are moments in time, and maybe in each experience, there's someone who's the leader, there's someone who's the strongest, and that person isn't necessarily always the leader or always the strongest. Yet in every experience, the goal is equality, and the leader is the one who lives it the most and brings what equality looks like to our attention because it's very easy to it's very easy to hold on to something that we perceive as a benefit and lose sight of of what we're actually paying for that benefit and and when somebody can stand up and say yes there's this benefit and maybe that benefit is an illusion like within the world within the world of equality not only would you have that you would have something much better. You know, we we have to at some point just have faith that something is awaiting us that's better than what we now have, or we'll get stuck, and we'll we'll, we'll give ourselves and other reasons to stay stuck. We need to shake ourselves out of this out of this belief system that is so separating, and clearly it's more than just racism. It's nationalism and it's sexism pretty much all of the isms, they all separate us. And and in this discussion, we're talking about racism, and I am pretty certain that all the things that, that apply to racism also apply to the other isms. And if we can do it in any area of our life, then that will spill over into all areas because everything really is connected. And the belief system of racism also also embraces the belief system of sexism and also embraces the belief system of nationalism. They're dependent upon each other. And if one of them falls, they all fall. And if one of them stays alive, they all stay alive. So there are moments, and even if they're just a moment where someone needs to stand up and says, this is all bullshit, every bit of it is bullshit, and there's something that isn't bullshit. And even if we can't articulate it, Within our being, we know that's true. There is something. It reminds me of that moment in the in the Matrix when they're given the choice whether to take, I don't know if it's the green or the blue pill or the red and the green pill, whatever. That you know, are you willing to continue to look at the Matrix? You know, looking pretty, like yeah, we're coming along. Or are you finally willing to take off? 
the rose-colored glasses and see it for what it's worth so that we can heal it, so that we can fix it. Yes. And I, and I think for most of us, the fear is so great. We, we don't want to see it. We feel like we'll disappear. And the truth is that is the fake selves that are going to disappear. Yes. We become so identified yes. with the fake self. Yes. That we can't see that what we're going to gain is the real self, not only in ourselves, but in others as well. Yes. And like, like you said, how much more beautiful than anything you have right now that will be. Yeah. And this feels to me like, like a really good place to stop if, that, if it feels that way to you and Carolina. Like, I really, lo- I really like what we shared. Um, Carolina said she liked it too. Um, and, and again, the, the public speaking thing is so deeply entrenched in Carolina. So all I can do is tell you when she feels safe, she talks. And and what comes out of her when what comes out of her is beautiful. So I'm not talking over her. Her I'm supporting her, and and holding her hand with the hope that. And she did last week. She spoke. She spoke publicly. So I'm gonna uh, say that I am. I have no uh, sense of urgency. For Carolina to speak, I just, I just feel her. So if she wants to, to say whatever she wants to say with words, that's great. And if she doesn't, just her energy is is amazing. Yes. Thanks, Eva. That was nice. Really You're nice. And <laughs> um, this was cool conversation, Yvette. I liked it yeah. a lot. Me too. Yeah. So. I, I imagine we're going to put it on a podcast. Um, I don't think there's much that needs to be edited. Um, do you want to listen to it on the podcast or do you want to hear it before um, the podcast happens? Because I told you if you didn't want to, we won't do it. No, I trust you fully. And I think that we came to this space with open hearts and that's it. Yeah. I really like you. I really, really like you. Like you are, you are an experience in my life that keeps making me happy. So thank you very, very much. And I feel the same about you. I, I always make the distinction. There's a lot of people that I know, and then there are people that I'm willing to go to this level with, mm-hmm. and, and even people who are able to go there. So for me, it's a blessing to know somebody like you, somebody like Carolina, where we can, you know, come to the table fully open and, and, and say, look, this is where I'm at. And yeah. know that the other person is not judging at all. Yeah. And you feel completely accepted and welcomed and supported. So I thank you for that. Yeah. So just so you know, sometimes I do judge, and 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 with no, I know. I just needed to say it with someone like you. I hopefully I can share my judgments with, and from that place, like get closer to you rather than be pushed away. Yes, I think that you know we all do. Yes, and I'm good with it. And I would say, you know what, if we wanted to have like a session to put it out there and say, look, this is 
I judge all the time. I don't forgive all the time. I tell people to F off all the time. You know, and I go from 0 to 16, 2.2 seconds. Yeah. That's also a part of my existence. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm... Yeah, my my belief is that this is maybe the first time of perhaps many times that we're going to be doing podcasts together. This feels like a good fit. It feels like a good what? It feels like a good fit. Yes, yes. I'm very comfortable. I'm glad that you talked me into it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have to try very hard. You accepted pretty quickly. Nice. I'm really, I'm really glad I accepted the invitation. Me too. Me too. We'll talk soon. All right. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.